Now, in the last few episodes of our series, Christianity in the Workplace, we looked at the twin dangers of work in a fallen world, being idle when we lose sight of God's purposes for our work on the one hand, and making work into an idol on the other. Now we're ready for the good news, how God's redemption of his people changes our work. And just like in the last few episodes, we're going to narrowly kind of focus in on our work specifically in the workplace. Though a lot of these truths, as you'll, as you'll see, apply to the work that we do in all spheres of our lives, right? As family members, neighbors, citizens, parents, caregivers, church members, and so forth. And just to let you know, in the next episode, we're going to talk about how Jesus's work changes how we work. But before we do so, we need to explore two other ditches that we want to avoid when thinking about our work. And we want to explore what does it mean when someone says they have a calling by God to do something, like a a calling to a certain job. (laughs) What does that mean? And so to do so, uh, think with me for a moment. What are some examples of how being a Christian has changed what you do at your job? What are some examples of how being a Christian has changed what you do at your job? An even better question of exploring our hearts could also be, has being a Christian changed what we do at our jobs? See, one of the dangers for us as Christians is believing that there's this secular, sacred divide in our lives. We've talked about that a number of times, this kind of functional Gnosticism. Right? That our Christianity shouldn't impact our work at all. We should simply work our jobs as functional atheists. I think that's what the government of Canada would really love for us to do. But is that true? Is that how we should live our lives? Is it possible to do that as Christians? There's this beautiful cathedral uh, in St. Boniface called Precious Saint or Precious Blood. And one of the most fascinating things I've noticed is that as you approach the building, the pathway goes from concrete to bricks. In this divide, one friend told me, is to remind parishioners of this church that they're leaving the world of the sacred, the concrete, and they're walking into the world of the divine, where the bricks meet. That, that, that threshold, when they cross it, they, they are, they're separating themselves from the secular into the sacred. That threshold is kind of a way to remind them that what they're walking into is holy ground. And, and whether that's true or not, uh, someone from Précis Saint might say, no, actually, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> whether that's true or not, my friend could have been lying. But whether it's true or not, this Catholic mindset on separating sacred things from secular things is true. And it's seeped its way into many of our minds. One of the Catholic Church's most well-known priests, Eusebius, He was the bishop of Caesarea. He wrote that there are two ways of life in the church, the perfect life, or the sacred life, and the permitted life, the secular life. The sacred life was spiritual and was reserved for priests and monks and nuns. Their lives were sacred. Then the secular life was secular, right? It was, it was reserved for normal, everyday people like you and me, right? Workers, stay-at-home moms, grocery store clerks, Walmart greeters, IT creators, and paint slingers, <laughs> normal folk. 
In other words, the teachings of Eusebius in the Catholic Church kind of present this this duality, this sacred life that's holy and a secular life that's just kind of permitted. Now, it's, it's important to note that the teachings of Eusebius and the Catholic Church don't necessarily say it's sinful to have a secular career like carpentry or law. But if you really want to please God, you need to be in the business of religion. In this understanding, then, work became completely separated from worship. And, and part of the Protestant Reformation then was recovering this biblical idea that our work can be worship to God. This was the exact experience of William Wilberforce, who was almost single-handedly responsible as a member of parliament for the abolition of the slave trade. Immediately after his conversion, many years earlier, his first thought had been to leave politics to go into the ministry to be a pastor. Surely that was more important than so-called secular work. Thankfully, though, John Newton, the celebrated composer of Amazing Grace, he persuaded Wilberforce otherwise. In fact, in 1788, Wilberforce wrote in his own journal, My walk is a public one. My business is in the world. And I must mix in the assemblies of men or quit the post which providence seems to have assigned me. See, if, if Wilberforce had left politics for the pulpit, he, he would have quit the post that God had assigned him, called him into for the abolition of a great evil, which we're very thankful for. And I mention all this because it's so important for us to remember that our lives are not divided into the categories of spiritual and secular. No, brother or sister, all that we do has spiritual significance. William Tyndale wrote that if our desire is to please God, then pouring water, washing dishes, cobbling shoes, and preaching the word is all one. All of that pleases God. And Martin Luther, in his typical earthy style, he once wrote, God and the angels smile when a man changes a diaper. And <laughs> my wife, upon hearing that, would give a hearty amen. See, remember that the danger, the danger here is, it isn't so much about a lack of activity as it is a lack of activity that matters to God. To avoid this pitfall, which is kind of like the idle, I-D-L-E, pitfall, we need to see our work as an opportunity for worship. And that's kind of the, the Catholic distortion. But as I've already alluded, the Protestant Reformation had a recovery of work as worship, but it eventually swung into another distortion and such is the heart of man. <laughs> and many historians have called this the Protestant distortion because it arose in Protestant-shaped cultures. One author wrote, whereas the Catholic distortion is a spiritual form of dualism, elevating the spiritual at the expense of the secular, the Protestant distortion is a secular form of dualism, elevating the secular at the expense of the spiritual. And it's important to note, the early reformers, they didn't have this error, but in later generations, the celebration of the spirituality of our work became really imbalanced. Os Guinness puts it really well when he writes, eventually the day came when faith and calling were separated completely. The original demand that each Christian should have a calling was boiled down to the demand that each citizen should have a job. And then work itself was made sacred. President of the United States, Calvin Coolidge, he once declared, the man who builds a factory 
builds a temple. The man who works there worships there. Strange, I know. <laughs> but isn't that just like us as humans? To go from one extreme to the next, that Catholic distortion to the Protestant one? Thus, we must be really careful as Protestants to not think that our Catholic friends are way off and that we are completely right. We both have pitfalls, and, and even those pitfalls bleed in, right? Many Protestants deal with that Catholic Catholic distortion. Many Catholics might deal with that Protestant distortion. And this is the danger of work as an idol. It becomes worship of us instead of worship of God. And falling into that trap, we relate with the writer of Ecclesiastes when he says in chapter 2, For many may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all that he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. (laughs) See, when we divorce work from worship, any meaning we feel in our work is an illusion, and it's sure to disappoint. But now let's move into talking about our callings as Christians. Now, the main point here is that we need to keep work connected to worship and, and worship connected to God. And so to understand this better, we're going to introduce this terminology of calling. And uh, you don't have to be a Christian very long before you hear people talk about a particular calling that they have in their lives. I don't know what God's calling is on my life. And, you know, there's all of the conversations around that. And, and to be honest, it seems really weird when you're new to Christianity. You're like, what does that mean? Like, you have a God-given calling to do something? Like, did God call you on the phone? Did he tell you? You answered? He was there. Do this. Right? Did you see something in your Cheerios one morning or in your latte art? Like, what does that mean? Well, in short, when people are talking about their job, they're talking about the things that they just love to do. The, the word calling and the word vocation have pretty much the same meaning. So in thinking through your job or the job that you want, it's the way that someone feels that God has gifted them towards naturally loving certain things and then giving them the ability to do that thing. So, for example, I think about the many teachers in our church and how they have a passion for teaching kids. They just love it. And so, so they went to school, how to learn how to be a teacher. They got some credentials. A school affirmed them and hired them. And my mom was just like that. My mom loved teaching. She taught for over 30 years. And yet me, I'm like, nope, I have zero desire, zero desire to do that. So uh, what we're talking about is some people have this, this natural vocation, this calling uh, that they just feel is this natural outflowing of who they are as a person into a certain job or, or into a, a career. Uh, And it's interesting, too, because in our modern sort of Western world, we get to sort of pick and choose our careers, where for the majority of the world, this has never been true, right? If your dad's a carpenter, you're a carpenter, right? And so uh, there's a lot of things that are particularly interesting for us, even as Christians, in talking through some of this. But to help us clarify a little bit about what we mean in talking about calling to a certain job, In short, what we mean is that we feel that God has called us to do something. But there are a few different calls that we uh, read about in the Bible and that Christians talk about. And I want to address a few of those. That way we're not missing the forest for the trees and we're not all super confused on what we're we're talking about. Now, firstly, there's our primary calling. But but what is that? Well, I'm using the word calling in this sense in, in the way that Scripture does when it teaches us that God calls us unto salvation. Like in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, right? We, we read, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Os Guinness has a great working definition of our primary calling. 
He says, our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. So we are called by Christ, right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. He called you to this salvation through our gospel so that you may possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called by Christ. We are called to Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 6 says, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So we're called by Christ. We're called to Christ. We're called for Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that's verse 10 of Ephesians 2. So what is God calling? What's his calling for you? <laughs> well, primarily he's calling you to himself. And if we miss that, we're going we're gonna to miss everything else. He's calling you to himself, to, to be saved from your sin, that you might bear witness to his glory. If we're going to avoid the, the twin dangers of idle and idle work, we must remember our primary calling is to God. We're called to him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Which then brings us to our secondary callings. Now, as those called by God, what are, we, what are we to do? As Christians, what are we to do? Well, specifically, we're called to serve God in every arena of life. Those are our secondary callings. We can see that in verse uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 that I just mentioned. But we're called by God unto salvation that we might do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God doesn't call us to salvation simply because he feels sorry for us. He calls us to salvation that we might take part in his grand plan to show off his magnificence to all creation. And so when he calls us to salvation, he calls us to secondary callings, like the secondary calling of being a wage earner or a student or a stay-at-home mom or being unemployed or being retired. And the key truth that we need to understand here is that all of our secondary callings exist to support our primary calling. Whatever you do, Paul says, remember Colossians chapter 3, 22 to 24, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, so the Catholic distortion we talked about a moment ago comes when, about when we neglect the fact that our secondary callings can support our primary calling. And the Protestant distortion comes when our secondary callings become an end in themselves. And yet you still might be wondering, but, but what is my, my calling, my secondary calling then? What job should I do? Should I do this job? Should I do that job? Should I do this one? That one? And, and it's often the paralysis of analysis. You're, you're paralyzed because you analyze a lot of things. We, we might wonder, well, is God more pleased with me if I do this job or that job? If I move to this city, if I move to that city? I, I even know friends of mine who they have a really hard time with this. They, they feel as if God might be calling and leading them even to go and help start a new church in a foreign country. And they're wondering, well, should I go to this country or that country? Should, should I do this or that? I have to wait until I see something magical in my Cheerios. So I know, right? I don't know where to go. And it's funny that we do that, isn't it? That, that we, we have this idea that, let's, let's take that church planting example. We have an idea that somehow we're going to get to a country and, and maybe the wrong people are going to get saved. And uh, we'll just wasted our time, right? And it's this very human 
way that we're trying to know that we're always perfectly fulfilling and doing exactly what God would have us do in various things. And so what about you? Maybe you're not considering moving to a foreign country. Maybe you're just wondering, should I go into IT or should I go into being a teacher? Should I work at this this grocery store or should I work at that coffee shop instead? What, what would God have me to do? What does he want me to do? And two, I would, I would offer a couple of handlebars onto that bicycle so that we can ride it. Firstly, I would say, what are some things that you just love doing? Do you, do you love working at a coffee shop? Try it out. If you like it for a bit and you love it, great. If not, leave it. Work for this company for a bit. Try to see if you, if you enjoy it, if you don't enjoy it. So, so I think our passions, our desires are some of it. I think secondarily, you could also ask other people around you, hey, do you think I would enjoy this? Get them to ask questions, probe into your life a little bit. People that know you well. And people that maybe don't know you well, maybe some friends from church, maybe some of our pastors, ask it like, man, help me explore this a little bit. Should I do this job? Should I do that one? Help us help you counsel and walk through some of that. Another great thing you could do is say, well, is there anything in this job that is against the Bible, the clear teachings of God, right? Like if your options are, should I go be a... I don't know, like a drug dealer, or should I go teach uh, underprivileged kids at an after-school program? Well, well, very clearly, one of those is sin, and one of those is a great way to uh, live out your faith as a Christian. And if you don't know which one, uh, well, I, no, you do. I'm just kidding. And so, you know, there's some things that if the Bible doesn't say this or that, and you're wondering, well, man, then what do I do? And you're really questioning and wondering. I would say just put a lot of prayer into it. And really see, what are you longing to do? What are people around you saying? What are some of your pastors, small group leaders, Bible study leaders, would they, their input into that? What do you, what do you, you know, is there anything in that that might be sin that might not be sin? And then come to a decision point where you make a decision and just walk with it and just see, is, is this a good company even? But I think what is the most important thing in all of this conversation is where is your heart? Are you striving to use work as a means to glorify God? Are you using it, as we've talked about, as a, as a place even where you can make disciples who can make disciples? Are you leveraging every opportunity of your life in order to do that? And isn't that the most important thing? You're striving to live out your primary calling as a Christian. So secondarily, man, what do you want to do? And do it. And so I know this episode has, has maybe seemed a little bit more theoretical, maybe even like being on an airplane and looking down on the grand scope of the, you know, the Manitoba Plains, but but not knowing what the Neverville Fair is like. You ever had borscht at the Neverville, <laughs> Neverville Fair? You're kind of up in the clouds, but not down on the earth. And so in the next episode, we're going to land the plane and look around a little bit and make this a little bit more practical for us. And we're going to see how Jesus's work changes everything. And so as we're wrapping up this episode, I just want to, uh, again, thank the wonderful folks at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., who provided this material for our church to consider and to present uh, to our church uh, in ways that are easily applicable for us in our local context so that we might grow to become mature Christians who make disciples, who make disciples in everyday contexts.